0: So, are you ready for the Word of God now? I'm going to just take us through seven verses today in Hebrews. That's the series that we're doing. Uh, Ian took us up to chapter 13, verse 6 uh, last week. And so we're going to go from verse 7 to 14. So let's just open and pray. Father, thank you that as we come to the Scriptures, we are coming to your Word. This is your voice speaking to us today. You are the author of these words. So I pray that you would help each and every one of us to receive them as what they really are, the Word of God. Amen. Shall we read? Hebrews 13, verse 7 to 14. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, That is to come. Well, let's just unpack this quickly today. I believe that what we can see in this passage is four keys. We're given four keys to triumphant faith. And That's what I've entitled to this message today. Four keys to triumphant faith. If we just remember and cast our minds back, the book of Hebrews, the first ten chapters, we see the writer really expounding to us. The grace of God the gospel and giving us a real insight into what God has done for us what he is still doing for us through Christ in chapter 11 he then begins to point out to us the examples that we have in the people of faith the people of the Old Testament and how their faith looked then in chapter 12 and chapter 13 he really begins to move into some practical instructions that we can apply in our lives that will enable us to be able to stand before God with a kind of faith that I've titled here, triumphant faith. Which is a faith that will endure right to the very end. A faith that will enable us to run our race till it is complete. And to be victorious at the end. To overcome every obstacle that's thrown against us, that is, lands in our path, Every challenge that would seek to derail us. And we can come to that place where we stand before God and we hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what a triumphant faith is. We all live in a world, and we're so aware of this today, a world that is completely and totally anti-God, anti-the Lord Jesus, anti-the gospel. We live in a world that, where wickedness is abounding, where lawlessness is increasing, where darkness is everywhere. And there are so many pressures that come against us that would seek to stop us running our race. So many things that can happen in our lives that, can, that seek to try and derail our faith. And so here we have four keys towards this triumphant faith. They're not the only keys. And this, these two chapters that we've read are full of keys that we can take and apply So let's just have a look at these four keys. I've got them up on the screen. The first one is, remember the historical roots of our faith. Secondly, hold fast the apostles' teaching. Thirdly, depend on the cross. And lastly, be willing to suffer reproach with Christ. Four keys that I believe if we will take. We will have a triumphant faith. So let's quickly unpack these. The first one is, remember the historical roots of our faith. We see this in verse 7. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we think of that, you know, we might look at that verse and we think of, of your leaders and what he's talking about here. We might just apply it to the fact, maybe Ian being our leader and obviously there's truth to that but if we really look deeper into this we will see that it goes beyond that who were the leaders that the writer was referring to when he said to these people that he was writing to remember your leaders well Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 tells us you can just put that up there he said how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation Because it was first communicated through the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. Who's that referring to? That's referring to the apostles. So when He said to these people that He was writing to, remember your leaders and imitate their faith, consider the outcome of their life, He was talking to them about the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, who were the ones that had taken the message of Christ from His very lips and communicated them to the church at that time. But do you know that the same is true for us, even though we live 2,000 years down the road? Do you know that everything that we believe and everything that we know about the gospel comes from the apostles? Our faith is founded on the apostles' teaching. And the Christian faith goes back right to the very beginning, 2,000 years ago, to what the apostles... Received from the Lord Jesus and passed on to the world. If it wasn't for the apostles' ministry, we wouldn't even have a New Testament. The New Testament has been passed down to us from the apostles. And so even when we think of our own lives, if if I was to ask you, how did you come to know the Lord? Somebody shared what the apostles had given us. When you're witnessing to, the, to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, all you're simply doing is telling them what the apostles have given us. And so everything in the Christian faith, everything in the church, goes back 2,000 years to the ministry of the apostles. Let's just look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19-20. to 20. Paul writes and he says, So then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household, because you have been built... On the foundation of the apostles and prophets with christ jesus himself as the cornerstone the foundation of the church through all generations and all times all nations is the ministry that the apostles gave us what they have handed down to us the church that jesus is building is being built upon the ministry of the apostles and so Every single one of us today is actually the fruit of their ministry. The Lord Jesus prayed at one time. And he actually prayed in John chapter 17 just before he was going to be crucified. And he prayed this. Lord, he said, I'm not praying just for the apostles. I'm praying for those who will come to believe in me through their message. Do you know who he was praying for? Every single one of us. We are the fruit of the apostolic ministry. And so this brings us to the place where we have to ask ourselves, as we read this this verse here, what must we do and how must we apply it? Well, this is the way. We are to remember the ministry of the apostles. We are to consider their lives. How many of you do that? We are to... Consider the outcome of their way of life. We are to imitate their faith. That's how we apply this verse. It goes beyond just the leaders that we look to right now. It goes all the way back 2,000 years to the people who God has sent to be the very foundation of the church and the faith that we hold. So, let's think about the apostles a little bit today. Just think about what they gave up. And what they suffered in order for us to be sitting here today with the knowledge of the gospel. Consider their faithfulness to God in spite of all the adversity that they went through. Consider their devotion to the Lord. The fact that they were willing to die for His name. They were willing not not only to suffer but to die so that we could hold the words of truth in our hands as we do today. And consider the outcome of their way of life. The fruit of their ministry is still growing and multiplying. Right around this world, every nation, every tribe, just about every tongue has heard the gospel or is hearing the gospel. We are the fruit of their ministry. Their faithfulness to God, their willingness to place themselves in His hands and be obedient to His call, has resulted in everything that we see today. The church across the globe. When they started, what did they have? It started just with 12 men. This all started with just 12 men that gave their lives to serve Christ unreservedly. And so he says here, let's remember these people. Let's remember and consider the outcome of their way of life. And then he says this, let's imitate their faith. Have you ever thought about imitating their faith? When we look at their lives as it's portrayed to us in Scripture, do you know what we need to do? We need to say, I want my life to look like theirs did. I certainly do. I don't know about you. I want my faith to look like their faith did. And why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus that they served is the Jesus that we serve. The gospel that they preached is the gospel that we preached. The faith that we hold is the faith that they They held. It all goes back to these historical roots. And it's so important we do not forget where this faith, the Christian faith, has come from. Because today there's there's a trend almost, I would say, where so many Christians have lost sight of the historical roots of our faith. Many people think that this is a modern faith that grew up in America, um, you know, the last hundred years. Have no idea of what this looked like in the beginning. When we go back to Scripture, we find out. Let's move to the second key. Hold fast to the Apostles' teaching. It says here, do not be led away. Led away from what? From what we have here in Scripture. By diverse and strange teachings. Do you know that there are many diverse and strange teachings in the world today? Teachings that would lead us away from what the apostles have given us. From the truth that we hold in our hands. From what this book teaches us. And these diverse and strange teachings are multiplying. We see here that he talks about foods. And obviously, he's referring to people that were teaching that, you know, you mustn't eat this, and you can't eat that, and you can only eat this. And they were looking to that kind of teaching as a means of gaining some standing before God, as if what we eat affects our relationship before God. There's still people that hold to that today. There's still people today that feel if they eat a certain food, that it's going to destroy their relationship with God. That they can only be saved if they abstain from this kind of food and only eat this kind of food. What the gospel teaches us is that what we eat and drink has nothing to do, no bearing upon our relationship with God. So let's carry on and look and just consider what some of these diverse teachings might be. Well, let me just, I'm just going to sum it up today. I'm just going to give you a general look at it. It's any teaching that diminishes the importance of the cross of Christ. It's any teaching that pushes the cross of Jesus and what He's done for us to the side and does not hold it right at the very center. There's so many teachings like this. I don't have time to, to look at them all, but let me just show you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22-23. to 23. Paul says here, For Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach about a crucified Christ. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Do you know that these verse 22 actually sums up the two things that draw people away from the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified? It is, number one, a quest for power. Some sort of spectacle. Some, something that we can see. Some sort of wonder. Something miraculous. And he says here that Jews demand this. That's what they want. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for some kind of religion that's going to give them that kind of experience. Tapping into a higher power. The energy of the universe. Something along that line. And then, secondly, we see a quest for wisdom. So firstly, a quest for power. Secondly, a quest for wisdom. And so what does that refer to? It says the Greeks asked for wisdom. What were they asking for? They were asking for philosophy, for self-help teaching, for motivational messages, for some fine-sounding arguments, some hidden secret knowledge. And you know there's many people in the world today that are seeking that very thing? But what does Paul say? What is Christianity about? It's not about any of those things. This is what it's about. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what it's about. That's the very center. That's the core. That's the very essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Him, about Him, who He is, and the fact that He was crucified for our sins. It's that simple. And yet so many people do not feel that they can receive that And that in receiving that, that is going to be everything that they need. But do you know that in the cross of Jesus, we have everything that we need for life and for godliness. We don't have to look further. We don't have to tap into higher powers. We don't have to seek for some unknown secret wisdom. All we can do, all we need to do is embrace the message of Jesus Christ and the cross. And that saves us. And that gives us right standing before God. That brings us into fellowship with Him and into relationship with Him. You see, we shouldn't be seeking to strengthen our hearts through anything other than the grace of God. And how does the grace of God come to us? Why does it come to us? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not what we can do. And it's not... What we can accomplish for God that matters its what Christ has done for us that should console and encourage our hearts. That's that's an important statement for every one of us just to take to heart. It's not what we do or can do, but what Christ has done for us that should console and encourage our hearts. And yet so often... We forget about that we're just looking to what we do or what we can do and we're judging our relationship with God based on that rather than based on Jesus and Him crucified and His blood shed for our sins you see it's not who we are we live in a generation that's so concerned about who I am my self-worth but you know the thing that really matters is who Jesus is And the fact that He loved us and died for us. That's what matters. It's who He is. We need to have such a clear picture and such a clear vision of who Jesus is. Because it is that that gives us things like hope, self-worth, peace, and joy. When we are centered on Christ, when we see Him for who He is, and we understand what He's done for us, That gives us, that's where we find our self-worth. We don't have to be running about looking for it in any other place. So we need to be careful that we do not allow diverse and strange teachings to shift us away, to take our focus away from what is written in here. We need to be people of the book. You know that's what the Muslims, you know that's what Muhammad called the Christians in his time? If you read the Quran, you know what he refers to Christians as? The people of the book. Are you a person of the book? If people look at your life, would they say that you are a person of the book? That you hold and you cling fast to what is written in here. You study it. You want to understand it. You want to know it. That's how we ought to be. So let's just move on now to the third key. Depend on the cross. Depend on the cross. Verse 10. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. What's that altar? That's the cross. The altar that we feed from, that we eat from, is the cross of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they had that altar outside the the tabernacle. And they would sacrifice for the sins of the people, animals there. That was just a picture. Just a picture of what Jesus would do. Of the real sacrifice. Where was the real sacrifice made? It was made at the cross. That cross became an altar where the sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world was offered to God. The sacrifice that would open the way for man to come before God once again and have a relationship with Him. And know Him and be received and accepted by Him. The sacrifice that would make that possible was offered on the cross. That's the altar from which we eat. That's what we were doing earlier when we were having communion. In John chapter 6 verse 53 to 54, let me read it to you. Jesus said this to them. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, referring to himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. What a promise. What a hope we have. He has given us His Word. The Lord of heaven and earth has spoken and given us His Word. And we have hope that no one can take away because of that. But what is it based on? It's based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the altar of the cross. Isn't that wonderful? The old covenant priests, he says here, those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. You see, those who were clinging to the old covenant and to the sacrifices of animals could not eat from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have to let go of the old and embrace the new. All right, let's move on now to the third, the, sorry, the last key, the key four. We need to be willing to suffer reproach with Christ. We see this in verse 11 to 14. Let's just go through it quickly. He says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. That's the Old Testament. And we can see that from Leviticus where God commanded them to do that. Then verse 12, he says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, outside the gate of Jerusalem. He was crucified outside the city. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You see what God told the nation of Israel to do. Was just a picture. That he was giving them. Of what Jesus would do. Jesus is the real and true sacrifice. And so God just set up the old covenant. As we see throughout this book. Just as a picture of what would happen in the new. Jesus suffered outside the gates of Jerusalem. To sanctify us. By his blood. To set us apart for God. To make us holy in God's eyes. That's what his blood was shed for. But as he did it. He suffered. I think we've probably all seen the movie. The Passion of of Christ. Which portrayed His suffering. And what he went through. The whipping. The mocking. The spitting. The jeering. The reproach. The shame. You know, we often see Jesus hanging on a cross, you know, and he's always got a loincloth on. But do you know, in reality, that wasn't the way it was. When he hung on that cross, where all those people were passing by, he was absolutely naked. The shame, the reproach, the pain, all of that, the bearing of our sin upon himself. He suffered so that we could be saved. And so the writer says here, when we consider what he went through for us, can we not do what he says here in verse 13? Let us go out to him, outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. Do you know what this speaks of? It speaks of us being willing to be rejected by society, to be cast out, to be mocked, to be jeered, to be insulted, to be spoken of as those who have no worth. And you know that Christians throughout the centuries have suffered this way? Wherever God's people have nailed the gospel to the mast in their societies, they have suffered this way. I think of Nero, who took Christians and set them ablaze and then hung them on poles down the path towards his palace to provide light as they were burning for his guests that were coming to his feasts. That actually happened in history. When you look at it, that, that has been the, the, the story, we could almost say, the experience of the Christian church. And even today, in so many places, people are suffering because they have chosen to identify themselves with Jesus. And we live in a world, and we mustn't fool ourselves about this. We live in a world that hates God and hates Jesus Christ. I was at an event just the other day. I was talking to somebody and asking him, somebody that I had not seen for a while, an unbeliever, and just finding out what was going on in his life. And then he turned to me and he said, So what are you doing these days? And so I told him. And that was the end of the conversation. You could just see he just shut up. You just sort of said, oh, well, that's nice. And that was the end of it. You see, the minute we become identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, the reproach that He had to endure, the, the way the world treated Him and responded to Him is the way the world will treat us and respond to us. Are we willing for that? Are we willing as a body of believers, as individuals, to stand for Christ and to stand for the truth of this Word, no matter what the consequences are? You know, if it wasn't for people throughout the history of the church that had been willing to do that, not one of us would be in this place today. The gospel would have been lost. We wouldn't be holding this book in our hands today. We wouldn't have these words. We would be living in darkness, absolute darkness, under the rule and domain of Satan. It was their willingness to say, no matter what the cost, no matter what the consequences, we are going to serve Jesus Christ we are going to identify ourselves with Him. We are going to be His servants and we're going to speak His word unashamedly. you know so many people in the church today because of what's happening in society, the increase in wickedness, the increase in evil, there's such pressure coming upon so many preachers. And I see it happening, particularly in America. Preachers that are under such pressure because of the possibility of persecution. The... The inevitability of losing their popularity if they stand on this word and do not compromise. And I'm watching preacher after preacher just begin to shift a little bit. Just a bit begin to bow their knee a little bit to the pressure of society. Compromise the gospel a little bit. Just let's take the edge off it. Take the sting off it. Because we don't want to offend anybody. When really the truth of the matter is this, we don't want to be persecuted. That's really what it's all about. As God's people, when we consider what Jesus has done for us, can we not be willing to stand and serve Him in faith, in love? And notice what it ends with here. Why can we do this? Because He says in verse 14, here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. We do this not because we're going to get some temporal, worldly, earthly reward, not because it's going to bring us fame and popularity and riches, but because one day we will stand before the very presence of the Almighty God. We will stand before the Lord Jesus who has holes in His hands and in His feet and in His side. And we will look upon it. We're going to see His face. And we're going to hear Him speak to us. And you know what? We stand before Him that day. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done. Enter into my joy. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we see that eternal celestial city Going to be incredible. Let's pray. Stand. Yeah, sure. Let's stand. Let's stand. Just as we pray today, what I'd like, I believe we should do, whenever we hear the word of God, we need to respond to it. It's not enough just to hear and say, oh, that was a good message, and then it's gone from us. We need to respond to it. We need to, in our hearts, say, we're going to embrace these four keys that are given to us in these verses. We're going to apply them to our lives. And as we pray today, let's ask God to help us to do that. Father, we thank you. We've come to your word today, Lord. This is your voice. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. These words are inspired by you, written down for us. Lord, each and every one of us, we ask that you would help us. We pray that you would take these words that we've read today and you would inscribe them on the tablets of our hearts. That Lord, they would be lodged permanently within our minds. We'd never forget them. We'd never lose sight of them. We'd never be distracted and taken away from them. Help us, Father, to not just hear what your word says, but Lord, to actively seek to apply it in our lives. And for that, we ask for your grace. And we ask for your help. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are unchanging. You will forever be the same. And we thank you for the hope that you've given us. We thank you for dying for us and saving us. Thank you that we can stand before you today, forgiven for our sins, cleansed, washed from our iniquities, set apart and made holy by your blood we thank you lord for the cross and we thank you for the gospel the truth of your word may we be people of the book we ask this in jesus name amen